You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Uh, I read a story a couple weeks ago about a mom who was having quite a bit of trouble getting her son to obey, Um, and she was becoming just really, really frazzled and exhausted, and one day she was just about at the end of her rope, and Billy's running around like a crazy person, and finally she just screams, Billy, and he stops, yes, she said, Billy, here's what I want you to do, whatever you want. Just do whatever you want. And Billy kind of confused, like, looked at his mom, and she said, now let's see you figure out how to disobey that. (laughs) I don't recommend that. (laughs) Parenting uh, can be exhausting. Can be. I'm hearing amens. (laughs) I didn't didn't have to ask for them. Um, But you know what? It can be a whole lot less exhausting and it can be eternally rewarding if you have a plan. If you have a plan. Now, <clears throat> that said, I am unaware of, I've, I've never met a parent who they raised their child and that child grew up to become a Christ follower, surrender their life to Christ, and the parents say, you know, I'm not really sure how that happened. <laughs> I, I've never met anyone that has said that before because... Children do not randomly or accidentally learn to follow Jesus. And so if you are a parent, but first and foremost, you are a Christ follower, there's a point where you have to recognize that your purpose as a parent is to lead and to teach your child to walk with Jesus, to surrender their life to him. But one thing that I think confuses this at times is, again, we need to see that that's our purpose. And when we understand that that's our purpose, it forces us to know, I must have a plan for this. And then as a result, this is my purpose. I now have a plan. I follow through with that plan. What I begin to get out of that is a passion for seeing my child come to know Christ, to walk with him, surrender to him. But see, here's the thing. Our culture wants it in reverse. What we want is we want to instantaneously be passionate about something. And if I am, it, hey, if that you know, floats my boat, if that lights my fuse, then maybe I'll come up with a plan to move forward with this, and then we'll figure out, is this my purpose or is this not? It doesn't really work that way. At, at, at times, you have to see this is my purpose and then develop the plan. And as a result, you will gain the passion. What does it look like to parent on purpose? Well, we're going to talk this morning about gospel parenting. And before I go any further, I also just want to say to you, if you're here this morning and you're an aunt or an uncle or a grandfather, a grandmother, this message is for you. If you're here today and you're not a parent, but you're friends with people who are parents, this message is for you. If you're here this morning and you're like, hey, I'm a teenager. Well, guess what? You have parents and you're on the other end of this, so this is for you. 
So I say all that to say this. This is for all of us. We're on the same page? Great. This morning we are going to be in Deuteronomy 5 and 6. Definitely one of the top five books of the Bible names. Deuteronomy. I want to speed you up to where we're going to be this morning in Deuteronomy with some background. Moses has led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And they've come out into the wilderness. They get to the point where they need to cross into the promised land. But they don't go into the promised land because they are consumed with fear and rebellion. And so they wind up pushing back into the wilderness Um, They wind up at Mount Sinai, and God there gives Moses the Ten Commandments, all right? Moses has just received the Ten Commandments, and that brings us to Deuteronomy 5, verse 24. And this is Moses saying to the people, You said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now look at verse 28. The Lord heard your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you will possess. So Moses says, hey everybody, go back to your tents. God's got something else to say to me that he wants to communicate to you. So they go back to their tents, and God communicates with Moses, I've given you the commandments. Well, now I want to give you the commandment that drives all of the others. So now Moses is back speaking with the people in Deuteronomy 6, verse 1, passing this information on. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. As Moses moves into explaining this commandment to the people, I want you to take note of what he says in verse 6. The word of God, before anything else, must first be on your hearts. The word of God, before you do anything else with it, has got to be on your heart, transforming your life. I want to ask you, have you ever tried to convince someone of something that you're not really sold on yourself? I, I, I thought about it for a while. Um, but so there's a reason why in the Mayfield house, I do not ever bother wasting a moment of energy or time trying to tell my kids they should eat broccoli. I don't. Because I hate broccoli. I, I, I just, <laughs> more amens, I don't even ask for them. I, I, I just don't want to eat broccoli, and I don't want to be that hypocrite, do what I say, not what I do, telling them that they should eat it. But now, let's talk about this for a second. I should eat broccoli, but the first reason that I should eat broccoli is not so that I can then have the credibility to tell my kids, you should eat broccoli. The first reason I should eat broccoli is because it's good for me, and not the good like um, it's not as bad as the other foods. That's what we eat most, isn't it? We try and figure out, okay, this isn't good, but it's not as bad as this. So it's on my list. Broccoli, and I hate even hearing myself say this, but God made broccoli so that you and I could eat it and be healthy. It's nutritional. The first reason that I should eat it is that it's good for me. Then as a result, I would be able to tell my kids and exhort them, you really ought to eat this too. Your hearts, your hearts, our hearts, the word, God's promises, God's truth must be on our hearts, transforming our lives. And then in verse 7, we're told, as a result, you will teach them diligently to your children. As I said a minute ago, um, no one, uh, this won't happen randomly or accidentally. And in fact, a very specific adverb is used here that we must teach them diligently. Diligence. Are you familiar with this word? Diligence is like this persistent determination. I'm going to keep at this and I'm going to keep at this. Okay? Diligence, something else that you should know about diligence is that diligence is almost always the byproduct of a plan. Diligence doesn't just happen. Diligence happens when I have a plan in place. Like there are some of us, maybe we decide I should get back in shape. I should go to the gym. Well, if you just leave that to, let's see how I feel tomorrow. Guess what you're going to do? Not go to the gym. But if you pack that bag that's like sitting there right when you trip over it, getting out of the bed, you go, I should go because I'll have to get all my stuff out here, and you go. And the drive there is so miserable. 
But then when you're done, you're like, I'm really glad I did this. It's because you had a plan. And the more you keep working on that plan, then you know what you have? You have diligence. But in contrast, regret is often the byproduct of a goal without a plan. I don't really know of a parent that, well, let me rephrase that. Most parents that their kids grow up and there's regret, it's not because they didn't have goals or things that they wanted for their kids. Every parent has this idea of what their kids should be and how they should grow up and so on and so forth. Parents wind up with that regret because they didn't have a plan. We've all got goals. The question is, what are we going to do with them? When we activate that plan, diligence happens. Through our children's ministry here at the Brook, through our student ministry here at the Brook, through our missional communities here at the Brook, we have a plan, a plan to encourage you and equip you as a parent to disciple your children. Is our plan the only one? No, it is not. Is our plan the best one? I can't objectively answer that question. I can tell you this. Our staff, our pastors, our elders, we fully believe that it is the plan that God has given us as a church so that we might properly encourage you and equip you to disciple your children to know and follow the Lord. We'll come back to that more in a few minutes. Moses says that the truths, the promises, the words of God, he says, you are to teach them. You are to talk about them. Talk about them as you walk down the road, as you're driving in the car. Carry them with you. Write them on the doorstep of your house. Write them on your hands, between your eyes, on your doorpost. What's Moses saying here? He's saying that the word of God should be saturating and consuming our lives in such a way that it is overflowing out of us into the lives of our children and into our home. Now, I think a lot of us, we hear some of this and maybe we're intimidated by it. We think, I'm not really sure how to make that happen, what that looks like. I think we understand it better than we allow ourselves to think that we do. And, and here's why I think that. M- my kids, my son in particular, since the time that he could understand anything, has understood how to say, go Vols. If you ask Nathan what his favorite color is, it's orange. Some of you, your children, maybe even before they knew how to say mama, they knew how to say roll tide or war eagle. Why? Because there is a passionate overflow in our lives. And I want to be clear about something. I don't think that God calls us to zealous lunacy. I don't think he calls us to just be crazy. But I believe that because of what Christ did, the Lord looks at us and he at minimum expects passionate overflow. We're familiar with passionate overflow, aren't we? Nobody's amening now. See, we're familiar with passionate overflow, but the problem is maybe our priority is the wrong thing. 
come back to that in a minute. Why is this so important? Why is the word of God saturating and consuming our lives and our homes so important? Well, look with me in verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When God brings you to the place that you finally realize that every good and perfect thing in your life is from him and not you, when, when you're finally there and you eat and you're full, look at what he says. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God that you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Don't go after those other gods, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. That's pretty serious. That, that's like, that doesn't sound like the, the New Testament. Let's, let's read the New Testament. Let's, let's get to where God's not wiping people off the face of the earth anymore. Why? Well, because we want to so drown in grace that we forget that we serve the sovereign, holy, almighty God of the universe. And he says, this is my standard and this is how you're going to live. Why is it so vital that the word of God saturate our lives and as a result overflow out into the lives of our children and our homes? Look at verse 12. It's because we are prone to forget the Lord. They're very, very bittersweet words, but I, I, I'm, I'm reminded very, very often of the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount. The writer of Come Thou Fount, probably the most powerful words of the song, are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. And those words make my hair stand up. But I'm grateful that he kept writing because next he says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Why? Because I know that I am prone to chase after other gods. I'm prone to forget the Lord. How could I possibly forget the Lord? Look at verse 14. The reason why I'm prone to forget the Lord is because I'm also prone to go after other gods. And you know, Moses here, he says that you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. I really just don't even want to bother reading the words there, the, the gods of the people around you, because we like to kind of tell ourselves, well, it's those pagans fault around me for even enticing me with that. Nope, it's on us. We, the people of God, are prone to forget the Lord and chase after other gods. And this is why Moses says, so take care. 
And, and, and those words in English mean be very careful. Be very careful. Take care. Take care that grades and intelligence and academics and the SAT do not become the God in your home. Take care that soccer and baseball and basketball and all-stars don't become God in your home. And, and take care that dance and cheerleading don't become God in your home. And parent, take care that ensuring my child doesn't have to go through what I went through, that that doesn't become God in your home. And make sure that the next raise and promotion, and of course, the next raise and promotion, which leads to the next raise and promotion, don't become God in your home. Take very good care that you don't go after those other gods. If you haven't heard anything else I've said this morning, I pray that you absorb what I'm about to say next. Parents, your children are always... Serving, bowing down, and worshiping something. And so are you. So are we. And that's why it's so vital that you understand that they follow us to the altar. Our kids are always worshiping something, and so are we. They follow us to worship whatever it is that we place on the throne in our lives. Proverbs 22, 6. You've probably heard this verse before. Proverbs 22, 6 says to train up your child in the way that he should go. And in the end, or when he is old, he will not depart from it. As a, as a parent, we have been given a responsibility to train our children to know who God is and to walk with him and to exemplify what that looks like. But now if you turn with me and look in 2 Timothy, I want you to see what Paul says to his young disciple. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says to Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So as a parent, I understand that I have this brief window of time that maybe it, that, that brief window looks like this, but it feels about like this. I have this brief window of time to train my children to know the Lord and to walk with him, and I have to exemplify that for them as well. But at some point, we cross this threshold where it now becomes their responsibility, as Paul says to Timothy, to follow what it is that we have taught them and to guard the deposit. Let me tell you a beautiful example of this. I had a mom come to me after the first service, and I knew all this was going on in their lives. She just got back last night from taking her youngest son off to school. And she told me, you know, Brian, I was a babbling, weeping mess. Um, but, you know, on the ride home, it was like God began affirming to me, you did what I called you to do. 
You did what I called you to do. And two hours later, she got a call from him that some big freshman thing they did, they corralled all these students up and they took them to do all these activities and they went in to hear some comedy. And her son calls her on the phone and when she saw his number come up, she wondered, why is he calling me? He's supposed to be there. He said, mom, we went to this thing and it was just vulgar. And I just walked out. You see, that young man now understands it's his responsibility to follow what's been entrusted to him and to guard that deposit. Parents, the window, it just keeps shrinking. We have an opportunity and we have to seize it. Understanding that, we, we understand that your first priority as a parent is not your child's nutrition. Your first priority is not ensuring that you capitalize, you, you help your child capitalize on all their incredible athletic abilities. Your first priority is not helping your child secure all the scholarships that they can possibly amass so they can further their education. Your first priority is cultivating and shepherding your child's heart. Now, do not misunderstand me, misrepresent me, misquote me. I'm not telling you not to care about your child's nutrition. Um, now, don't go feeding them broccoli if you're not eating it. Um, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't help your child if they're athletic to have fun and go out and, and do it. I'm not telling you to not help your child secure all the scholarships they can. Thank the Lord that that's possible. But what I am telling you is that your first priority is to shepherd your child's heart to know the Lord and to follow him. Because think about this. You help your child amass all the scholarships that you can and you send them off to university and you have not shepherded their heart toward the Lord. What you've done is you've sent them off to their death. I mean, you find a place on the face of this planet in this country that is more opposed to God and his word and the ways of the Lord, it is the university campus. And that doesn't mean that we're not to walk into that darkness and be the light. But parent, we better make sure that our child is ready to be a light in the darkness. Our task and our responsibility is not just to simply discuss God, but to demonstrate the gospel. It's not just for you and I to talk about God. It is to demonstrate what the gospel looks like. Um, if we believe that our kids should seek first the kingdom of God, then guess what kingdom we better be seeking first? I, I want to relieve you of a burden also today. I think that we put all these burdens on ourselves of what it looks like for us to be a successful parent. I don't even know what that means, but I do know this. If there is such a thing, the success of my parenting begins with the surrender of my heart and life to the Lord. 
So if there is such a thing as your success as a parent, it begins with your surrender. Because you and I, I mean, none of us, we don't know how to do this. It's only by the grace and the wisdom and the strength and the spirit of God. But see, before you preach the gospel, before you teach the gospel, um, before you really do anything with the gospel, you have to believe the gospel. You have to believe that there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does through the work of what Jesus Christ, his son, did through his death and his resurrection. You and I have to believe that there's nothing we have ever done or will ever do that would make God love us less. You and I have to believe that our approval, it's taken care of in Jesus Christ. It doesn't lie in what anyone else thinks of us. I want to wrap up this morning. I want to read something to you from Shepherding Your Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. He says, Our objective, your objective, in every context must be to set a biblical worldview before your children. From their earliest days, they must be taught that they are creatures made in the image of God, made for God. They must learn that they will only find themselves as they find Him. Your child must grow to see that real living is experienced when he or she stands before God and says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire besides you. If this is what you want for your children, then you must ensure that the content of everyday life fits this objective. You know what Ted Tripp just said right there in that last sentence? He said, hey, parents, if that's your goal, then you better have a plan. We want to help you have a plan. Here in our children's ministry, every single week, and it depends on how old your child is, but every single week we send home these sheets and every month in our children's ministry, there is a different theme that comes from Scripture. This month, this month, the theme is obedience. Everything that they are doing in Faith Builders and Faith Factory is driving home obedience. And it's coming out of one Scripture. It's not that there's only one Scripture. But one Scripture is driving everything that they do and everything that they talk about. Well, they send this sheet home with you so that you have the opportunity to talk about that scripture. And they, the sheets even have four days worth of things that you can sit down and work through with your kids to go deeper into the scripture. You can sit down at the breakfast table, at the dinner table, before bedtime. And now, you know, you may be thinking this morning, wait a minute, we don't hardly ever get around the breakfast table or the dinner table. You got to decide what's priority. Maybe it's that we just need to watch less TV. I, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to go on some rant. We just have to make the priority. And if you're one of those folks, which I know we have some of you here, like 
I have not yet fully plunged into the digital pool with many of you. Some of you are there though. Like, and some of your kids like paper. I don't get that paper out of my face. But if you have your iPad, like the Death Star's tractor beam just sucks them in. We have the Parent Q app, okay? You can download the Parent Q app on your phone, on your tablet, whatever. It has every bit of this information and probably even more. It has stuff that you can do and talk about in the car, at the dinner table, at bedtime, all of it. The resource is there. In our student ministry, I will say to you as a former youth pastor, that our youth pastor does an incredible job communicating with our parents of here's how you can take what we are learning with our students, what we are teaching them, and you can go deeper with it. Here are the scriptures we just talked about. Here are the scriptures we're going to talk about. Parents, here are some questions that you can ask to really dive deeper into the lives of your students. Parents, here are some things that I want to encourage you to be watching for in our culture that are going to come against your students. The resource, it goes out every single week. In our missional communities right now, we are training our leaders to know how to very intentionally incorporate our kids into our missional communities. Because think about this with me just for a moment. God forbid that three, four, five families come together in a living room over the word of God and we send our kids out of the room to watch a Disney DVD. What greater opportunity do we have to disciple them? And let me say this, if, if your thought there is, well, but Brian, we need to go a little deeper than that. Let me tell you something. You spend 15 minutes preparing yourself to teach a group of third and fourth graders the word of God, and then you come tell me you weren't challenged. It's not about we can't or what we need. It's about what we want. And, and understand that we can very intentionally be pouring into the lives of our children. Please hear me, though. If you've heard everything that I've just said and you think, but Brian, man, I don't, I don't know if I have the confidence in how all that looks, how to execute that. Let me say to you, you pick up the phone, you get on your email, and you get a hold of Sarah Couch or Chip Oosley, or Chad Cronin, or myself, and we will cancel other appointments to meet with you, to work through with you. Here's how to make a plan. Because the first responsibility that you have in making disciples is for that to happen in your home. And our first responsibility is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So, it's about priority. How do I parent on purpose? How do I parent toward the gospel? Well, I have to be believing and living out the gospel. And I have to determine, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray.
Lord, we pray that this morning, all of us, God, we pray that your word would be on our hearts. Lord, whether we have children or we don't, whether we're married or single, whether our kids are old and and grown and gone, it doesn't matter, Lord. If we are your people, we pray that this morning that you would renew our hearts with a hunger and a desperation for your word. God, that we would be diligent in seeking you and that through that, Lord, you would give us a passion for your name and for your word. Lord, I pray that any of us here today who, God, are bearing a burden of guilt, Lord, that you would lift it. But, God, that we also, if there is sin in our life of, of pride, God, we pray that you would give us the, the humility to be able to look to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to be able to say, I, I can't bear this burden alone. just a minute, we're going to respond to the Lord by singing praise to Him. But as we do that, if, if you need to come to the steps or the foot of the cross and pray, um, I just invite you to come. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you have not surrendered your life to him, but you would like to know more of, of what that looks like. Some of our pastors, elders, and leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. Um, they would love to talk with you, pray with you. I just encourage you, though, spend these next moments very honestly with the Lord but responding obediently to him. Lord Jesus, as we sing to you, we we pray that you would be lifted up, honored, glorified. Yes, in our words, our songs, our prayers, but most of all, through our lives. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.